0: Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Campbell. I'm a doula in Washoe County, Nevada, a Medicaid provider, a lactation educator, childbirth educator, and mom of 18. You can find me and connect on doulainreno.com. Remember, give a shout out to those who are brave enough to share their stories with us on how they have become parents. Let's dive in. Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I am really excited. I've been looking forward to this podcast episode. I'm on with Ashley Mareko. Did I say your name right?
1: Pretty close. Ashley Mareko, yeah. It's, Mareko. It's
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's Samoian. Oh, see, I don't yeah. have that accent. at. I don't have any accent at all, but that's that's why. I want you to jump in because this story is going to be really outstanding and start sharing your parenting journey with us.
1: Yeah. um, So my parenting journey started in senior year of high school. Actually, it would have been junior year, but I was graduating a year early um, anyways. And I found myself 16 and single and pregnant and at a Planned Parenthood um, where they were like, hey, there's options. And I was like, no, I thought I was grown. I'm going to have to. I'm going through this. I thought I was old enough. I got to deal with these consequences. And so my son Ezekiel came at 16. Yeah. (laughs) And then I 16. 16, yeah. So I I graduated high school uh, and a month later uh, delivered him. (laughs) Wow.
0: I mean, well, first of all, I want to jump in because I graduated in 1988. So this was like dinosaurs were roaming the earth then. But when I was a junior in high school in that 86, 87 year, Mm -hmm. um, one of my friends, Rose, was pregnant. And I remember how people treated her horribly. And I... I I'll, I stuck up for her as much as I knew how to at the time, which was probably great and not great at the same time, but she stayed in school. Mm-hmm. She had her baby at the end of our junior year. She came back and finished senior year. I was so proud of her. If you're going to make the decision, because look, you have three choices, right? Abortion, adoption, and being a mom. That's it. Yeah. And I was proud that she made the decision, you know, a tough decision to keep the baby and then- um, yeah. she stayed in school, which I mean, I, I remember kids giving her a hard time. And I, I looked at this group of kids and I said, the only difference between her and you is that she got caught and you That's exactly yet. it. Yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> so I can only imagine how hard that is to be pregnant. You were lucky, I guess, that you graduated a year early. Cause you could, you graduated and had a baby a month later.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like, like, exactly. I remember walking the line, like, May 26th or something and delivering him June
0: 27th. Holy cow, Ashley. I mean, so you stayed in school. What was that like?
1: You know, I was over high school from a very. I was always a hustler. So I found ways to sell candy in school, and I Mm -hmm. had been applying for colleges. I wanted to get out. I wanted to make money. I thought high school was a waste of time. For me, I was like, I'm not getting paid to be here eight hours, like, so... To me, I thought I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep going. Um, I was a leader in our church group. Um, and I remember having to step down. Right, I was yep. the last one in my group to lose my virginity, the first one to get pregnant. I thought I was gonna get married, and we were gonna be a family. Um, I came from a you know broken home, uh, a survivor of all the abuses, and um, my my brothers and sisters we share four dads and so I wanted to be a parent who had one person and it was going to be it and the only way out was going to be the grave and I said hey I'm pregnant and he said hey I've been cheating on you and left and so I found myself Mm. at 16. Um, The good thing was is that I had a lot of anger growing up and so I used that of I'm gonna prove you all wrong Um, and so I joined I got a doula for the pregnancy, she offered her services for free. She wanted to make sure I was supported. Um, my dad was there for the birth, you know, so I had those support systems in place. My mom was too, but my dads I've always been a dad's girl. Um, I was in and out of foster care at that point and delivered him. And a couple months later, we both went into foster care. So, but I, I had foster parents that allowed me to raise my child. So I got to raise my child. I made the decisions on him for the first couple months we were in. Um, And I think we got out around eight months. Um, He was eight months old and I had been working and caring for him and I wasn't 18 yet. Um, But my mom, I think there was some details, but we weren't, she didn't want me to age out of the system just because it would go on her record. And so I got out and at 17, I was renting a Mm -hmm. room from somebody and I couldn't get any like welfare benefits because I was under 18 so I just worked and had him in a daycare and made sure I paid that bill and ate ramen and chicken nuggets for for a while until I met my future husband but we made it we we did good you know my son's 22 now like he's amazing he survived
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean I had my first at 21 and it was planned I went through infertility I was married really young and still I can't believe she made it out so I mean I think one of the things to remember for parents listening out there, like I thought, oh, if I did it better than my parents, which look, <laughs> it, that, it was way to set the bar, you know, like <laughs> I wanted to do a better job and I wanted my kids to know how important they were and how loved. And I really hope that I did that, but it doesn't matter if you loved it and chose it and try every day, you're screwing up your kids.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah, I know that. And so, Yeah. Know.
0: <laughs> not that I think oh well gonna screw him up anyway might as well just screw him up real good but I, I mean really even with trying I thought I, I, I thought naively you know maybe like you did that if you just do it differently if you just yeah that it will be okay and that it will be so much better and it is but still we're all human you know
1: yeah my goal I, I think so as young. a child you know as a parent was I wanted to protect my son so that he didn't have what happened to me um, which caused me to be very hyper vigilant um, mm. on my children, you know, like very fearful that something would happen to them. And um, and I, my mistake with parenting was I wanted to teach them how hard the world was, so that they wouldn't get eaten alive. And unfortunately, I realized as an actual adult <laughs> that. Um, I needed to be that safe place for them. Like mm. the home needed to be the safe place where they were always loved and accepted and and that, you know, I thought the world of them. And I did, but I was so fearful that they would get eaten up by the world and become victims that I was always trying to make them tougher, always trying to make them stronger, always trying to make them better. And I think like my son, we have a really good relationship, but I think for me, you know, he he had feelings of not being enough because I was always trying to push him to the next level. Like we have to get you there. We have to get you there. So you don't make the same mistakes as mom, you know? And so now as an adult, we can have great conversations and stay up till two and like, you know, talk and I've owned it. I think that was something that was hard for me. I thought I was a good mom, but then your adult child comes to you and says like, hey mom like you did these things and this is what affected me and I'm like I have to own it whether it's not my reality it's his reality I have to Uh, yeah right Mm -hmm. how he's you know how he's Mm -hmm. feeling and so I think that's really like helped our relationship for him to know like mom validates
0: you said I mean and wait (laughs) that's a lot that was a lot for you to go through I'm so glad that you had um Supportive foster parents. I'm so sorry that you had to get out early to make your mom's record better. I'm so glad that you (laughs) struggled through renting a room and made it work. I mean, those are really tough things like good for you. I mad respect mad. So you said that you met your future husband. My husband. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's how old was your son and take us through that.
1: Yeah. So he was just under a year. So Mm -hmm. I I got out. I was, I started dating him. I met him when my son was almost a year old. Um, and he, I, we've met, we're still together, but in the beginning I thought, oh, this giant man is going to protect me from the world. Right. Um, little did I know I'm the bulldog and he's the teddy bear so it didn't quite work out that way <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I saw his eyes and I thought everyone's afraid of him this is gonna be great I'm gonna be respected and you know and he's gonna protect me from all the bad people right and and that wasn't the case um I had to be my own protection you know growing up um, but he was amazing he uh, just, took on my son right at the beginning. Um, There were fights in the beginning where he'd be like, you leave my son and you go out, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's my kid. Like I'm taking my baby with me, you know? (laughs) So we had some like very hard times. Um, We needed to eventually move to the mainland. Um, and really work on our family without all of our extended family being part of the drama, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's hard when you're, he's one of 13 and I have a very large family. And so everybody's got their opinions, you know, they want the best, but you know, everybody's got their opinions. And so we kind of went out into the desert of of Vegas to find God and our relationship and and grow and then dealt with infertility. (laughs)
0: this is funny (laughs) because i know what's coming (laughs) i mean (laughs) i know a little bit i (laughs) this is fun that's that's going to be funny later in this podcast stick around for this yeah so you went through infertility
1: yeah Uh, secondary male factor yeah um my husband had ended up getting um diagnosed with several different like health issues and the medication he's on wouldn't allow him um you know for us to be able to have a child um And we had had, you know, we had two that I had given birth to and my bonus daughter. Um, And so we just decided, okay, we've had enough kids after a couple years of being very bitter about it. Um, And I thought, you know what, Uh, one day I remember just kind of hearing in my heart, like, you know, there's people that have no children and you're here being bitter after three, you know, like, who are you to be so bitter? Um, And the other side of it was just like, you know, you should be thankful for what you have. And after that, like, radios and podcasts and tvs and even a woman in like my bible study was a surrogate i just kept hearing surrogacy surrogacy and i was like i can do this i've got big hips great childbirth like i can be pregnant like it's no problem like i'll do this i'm gonna change the world as a surrogate
0: (laughs) tell me about the three kids because i know you had one you have the secondary
1: infertility where did the other two kids come from oh really quickly um so my daughter my 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 bonus daughter, she was six when I met my husband. And so, like, we just automatically connected um, until the preteen years, Um, you know, being a stepmom's hard. And and there's a lot of, like, I think children struggle with, like, loyalty when there doesn't need to be, like, I'm not trying to take anyone's place. And so I just learned quickly in that preteen years, like, I'm not going to give out privileges, but I'm not giving out disciplines either. And Mm -hmm. so you go to dad, which then took the whole power struggle and control thing away, and I just became her friend. Um, mm-hmm. she's probably she's 28 she's like my best friend we hang out mm-hmm. <laughs> my lover and and so that came and then at 20 uh so four years after my son um we had a surprise baby ty um ty's got all kinds of fun stuff the autism like but she's the most amazing kid um taught me that it wasn't my parenting that made such a great kid the first time around I thought like I looked down on parents like oh your children are so misbehaved and like my son would never throw a fit or do that you know he speaks sign language you know um and then I just realized it's their souls and I had no control over how awesome and (laughs) well behaved my son was compared to my little like Tasmanian devil that come in and swept up our whole world
0: (laughs) okay so So, you ended up you did end up having a a second one at 20 okay so you have three at this point and you wanted to have more and you couldn't. I,
1: so at twenty, I had prayed that my womb would be closed because we were broke and in like low-income housing, and our marriage wasn't going good, and I didn't like the person I was. And so I prayed that like we wouldn't have any more children until we could own a house and be successful and like have love in our marriage. And you know, I mean, we were both pretty young, so to try to do this whole adulting thing in Hawaii and broke really sucked. And so. I prayed that it would close, and, and then we decided, you know, a couple years after that, like five years after my daughter, that we would move to Vegas and strike it rich in the nightclub industry, you know, yes. um, use my husband's giant Samoan size. I was like, you're going to make it big there, you know, and um, and I had a job with my current company that allowed me, um, I was in sales, and so it allowed me to move to Vegas and, and open up a, a fundraising, you know, company uh, there. So we went to Hawaii, like we went to Vegas with twelve hundred dollars and two suitcases each, um, and lived at the Circus Circus for a week while we found an apartment. (laughs) But it worked out.
0: (laughs) As lots of people actually, when when I moved to Reno. We did the same thing. We stayed the first week at the circus here in Reno. So <laughs> that's funny. That's where people land. I think it's cheap and your kids can be entertained. So <laughs> we did the same thing 19 and a half years ago.
1: Yeah, it was Crazy. a distraction. It was like, uh, hey, look I, how cool I, Vegas is. You I, don't got to be sad about not being at a beach. <laughs> you
0: know? Yes, you do. hundred percent you do, but that's fine. That's a different story. Yeah. you guys moved to vegas and really wanted to work yeah. on your relationship at some point with the male fertility issues yeah. the health That's, and fertility yeah. you decided not to ha- have kids though so somewhere between yeah. surprise baby at 20 yeah. and then not being able to and i get what you're saying you know like how can i be so bitter i have 3 children and some people have none but when you are trying to have a baby and you want to oh. regardless it's still Fertility is fertility is fertility. I think it's amazing, though, that you went through a fertility issue personally in your marriage because moving forward, when surrogacy came up, you got it. Like you, you understood being able to have, like, not being able to stop pregnancy and then not being able to start pregnancy and kids coming from in different unique ways because you're a stepmom. So, like, what a great, God's funny, you know how he sets all these things up. <laughs> I, I you've mentioned church a couple times. And yeah. I I know when we were setting up this interview, um you were working in ministry. Well, maybe not yet. Yeah. But like, first of all, you had to step down from your church position when you got pregnant at 16, which okay, I I yeah. do get that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then you were working. You were working, working for a church because you, tell me about your, your religious journey in your, I know about the 16 year old, but moving forward, because you said you guys wanted to move to like get God more in your life and put boundaries, force boundaries on extended family, which I totally get. And then yeah. I know religion played a part in your surrogacy journey. So what can you tie yeah. those together? Yeah, I
1: can totally tie it together. So, um yeah, at sixteen, I was I was part of the church. Um, I've been, you know part of different Christian denominations. and um, and I, because of my childhood and being a survivor of abuses, I had a very disconnected relationship with God. So I had a very head relationship, right? Like I knew the word, I knew what I was supposed to do. I, you know, love, well, previously before some, you know, mental health help, (laughs) I seeked validation. I wanted to be the best. I wanted that attention, the approval, things like that. And that's, I could get that in church, right? I could be the best outside version of a Christian and have that head knowledge because I'm a good student. Um, But I didn't have that heart relationship. And so as I was searching for that, I found a program called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, which is in um, a 12-step program that's Christian-based for any type of addiction. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, I was a rageaholic and um, and have food issues. Um, and so I started going to this, and I remember the first couple times going and thinking, like, these people are insane, right? Like, I'm not <laughs> one of them, right? And so this was in Hawaii. I went a couple times, and the problem was in a smaller group, you had someone like me who's a rageaholic with a codependent who was like my mom and it triggered me and I couldn't hear their hearts. Um, it just, it was bad for me. I was like, well, why don't you just beat them up? Like, how dare you let your <laughs> husband talk to you, about, right? Like, I just had no connection. Obviously. <laughs> I'll like, beat him up for you. <laughs> who chooses to be a victim? You know, like, and I, I had no idea, which is completely wrong. Like, do not that's not what I'm saying. But in my, in my denial, I didn't see, you know, that side. And so we got to Vegas and within a month, I found a larger church that had a Celebrate Recovery program. And I dove directly in, like, they had a whole group of angry women and I didn't feel so alone, you know, like, and I didn't feel so crazy. Yeah. And from there it was the first time I had started to actually break down the walls and have like a heart relationship with God. And so I went through that program, I then led the program, I then joined the prison ministry because there's a lot of angry women in prison, and those are my friends, you know And so we went through that, um, and then God led me into a Christian school, and I had, you know like and I felt like I was supposed to be there. And I thought, who is going to hire? me with my anger you know previous anger history which also caused like mutual phrase when I was younger my you know like which are technically just bar fights in Hawaii we do those um and so I thought there's no way no anyone's gonna hire me and I went in and I just wrote this whole essay about how I wanted to be there and how I have changed and I've been in recovery and um, my heart no longer is hard like that and they gave me a shot it had been years. So it wasn't like a criminal that just went to go work at the school. Um, but they, they gave me the job and I just excelled in the preschool. I loved loving on these kids. I was able to heal that. Um, some of the hurt and some of the embarrassment I had of not making the best choices with my children, right. Not being as patient as I should not, you know, celebrating and playing more with them. And so I did that with this group of like 16 kids, you know, and and my children got involved with it. So they would come and they'd volunteer and and my son would come and help out. And so we just really got involved with the church and, and with the, the school that I was helping with. Um, and that's when I started to hear, you know, that's when I was like, okay, I'm safe enough. I feel like we're financially stable. We have a good marriage. I have a good heart. Like, I want to have a child. And then it just wouldn't happen. Mm. And every month my period would come. And every month I would, it would be late a couple of days. Right. And then I would get my period. And so I dealt with that for, for probably two years of trying and I'm watching everyone around me get pregnant and I'm trying not to be bitter. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm you gave me these kids when I was 16 and 20 and now you won't give me any kids when I'm stable. Like, (laughs) like is my chance to redeem myself you know, and, and show that I can be the, you know, the best mom possible. And, um, and that's kind of where I had to have some, you know, I had to get help with that, because I had to realize, like, you've got these, like, kids are resilient. Like, when I started going through recovery, they were so quick to forgive me. And they mm. were so quick to, like, trust that mom was a safe spot, and that she would listen and understand. And there was a lot of crying in that first, I had never really cried in my life and then that first year I just cried the whole year like you messed up my fast food order I couldn't get angry right like I'd lose my chips so I'd cry like you know like I just cried at everything um but that was the year yeah that was the year I felt like I was gonna be okay Mm -hmm. and then instead what I realized is God allowed me and he trusted me so much that he trusted me with someone else's baby right to grow Mm -hmm. their baby not just my child and that's kind of where I got into surrogacy was I had this crazy lady who became my best friend in my church group was I'm like congratulations She's like it's not mine I'm like what kind of wizardry is this like what do you mean <laughs> She's like oh I'm a surrogate and and she explained it to me and I thought I could help someone like that but like how do you start something um and at that same time one of our good friends was going through chemo and and she she was told like you're probably not gonna be able to carry your, any of your children and I thought I could help you and she's like how does it work I'm like no idea like not sure. And so we talked about it. We weren't sure if I would like get a relationship or some weird attachment to the child. Like, would it cause Uh problems with our friendship? Like, how does this actually work? And so I was like, I got a great idea. I'm going to go help a stranger. I'm going to learn everything. I'm going to find out the whole process and then we're going to be able to do it for free. Right. (laughs) So that's, that was how I got into surrogacy was I just wanted to help a friend and I wow just wanted to do good in the world. I had felt like such a like my heart was so like hardened, you know, for the first 20 something years that I wanted to start like putting good out there instead.
0: I love that your marriage, I mean, you recognize that you were, your heart was hard. How, in what ways you fit, felt like you f- were failing your own children. Cause man, oh gosh. it's hard to look in that mirror, boy, I'm telling you what. Um, and then you guys made the decisions that put your marriage first by moving yeah. and um I mean you kind of did like all the things right and they're hard and so I I just applaud that um and then stumbling into this stumbling into yeah. surrogacy how does one yeah. do that but how great so yeah. you have you've been a surrogate how many times four wow <laughs> so I mean you've been pregnant six times that's a lot on your body
1: yeah. 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 I, I always wanted six kids. I thought like six is a, a great number. And with surrogacy, I ended up with six, but I don't have to raise or be financially responsible for four of them. Like I get to be a cool aunt who like sends candy and watches them like have temper tantrums. And I'm like, good job. Parents like good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, you jumped in at some point
0: with wow. the company. So yeah. you're, you're with surrogate first yeah. So I mean, I know from that first conversation with your friend who had cancer and you were her surrogate. Yeah.
1: Uh no, so this is the crazy part of it. I went and helped the stranger, right? Who became the parent I've carried three times for. She became okay. a sister. Um, and in our third trimester of the first pregnancy, my friend called me and said, Hey, I did around round, I, I you know, I, I did an, a frozen embryo transfer and it duh. We're pregnant. And they were one and done people, and I was like, "Well, what am I supposed to do now?" I went off and carried for a stranger so I could be your surrogate. Um, And so we completed that first journey. She gave birth to her beautiful baby, um, who is like the apple of their eye. And my intended mom said, "Hey, would you carry again for me?" And I thought, "Oh, my friend doesn't need me. Like, and you're not crazy. Like, this was a very pleasant experience." So yeah, I will. But I don't want to go with that agency. Um, It's an amazing agency. They were very professional. But like, I came from like, Hawaii, where we're community, we break bread, we are family, like you make a friend, they're family now. And I didn't feel that. And I think surrogacy is so um, intimate, that I wanted to have those feelings. Like I didn't do it for the conversation. I did it because I wanted the experience. I wanted to feel those relationships and build those memories. And so she said, that's okay. I understand. Um, We, we had a friend, she had a a friend who was an Ivy concierge and I met with her. And shortly after that, I became her assistant. And she said, okay, yeah, I can kind of oversee your guys' case. And then that year we opened surrogate first.
0: Nice. So you, you took a process and wanted to make it better. I I did. I, so I'm a doula here in Washoe County, and one of my clients is a surrogate. She's due in August of 2024. So when, yeah. I, when I got the email asking about interviewing you, I, I forwarded it to her, and I was like, what do you think? And she said, so I want to talk about this because I know yeah. that you um, started something. She said, while surrogacy is awesome, cus- companies that embezzle from IPs and surrogates have been an yeah. issue. Um, she said EWS is no longer or closing down. The owner is meant to be arrested. Um, this was this was a couple months ago. She yeah. has over a million dollars of combined embezzlement. And I'm going to put that in the show notes um, for your episode because it's information. So you took a surrogacy company, company's process and wanted to make it more community you wanted to make it better you went through it and you were like ah no we can take more community raises a child more community living which is way better way better to raise your kids usually um and you wanted to bring that into the surrogacy business and then on this on a side note there's all this other stuff like how awful that people families who can't have children and women who are willing to be surrogates are getting money stolen from them that just made me furious when i heard it can you talk to me about the companies and how things work and how you how you really wanted to set yourself apart
1: yeah for one um with that whole incident um i've grown with that surrogate um that was one of the major, major victims um it's it's unfortunate that people go through that um and so there's an organization called Seeds Ethics um, and yep. they create standards for the surrogacy field. I am um, I'm, I'm a volunteer with them. Um, one, because I'm a rule holder. I like rules. I like black and white, you know, you don't have to worry about sometimes the gray areas and there's always gray. Um, and yeah. some of the things that, you know, are recommended are to protect surrogates and parents um, personally in our agency. Something that we live by is that we have a third-party escrow. Um, hmm. What a third-party escrow means is that that money doesn't come into us. It goes directly to the escrow to fully fund it for the surrogate. And we require a like a fully funded escrow before pregnancy. So that means her compensations, potential complications, uh, attorney bills, traveling, all of that money is in there before she even gets pregnant. And everyone is able to see that, that see the balance. The parents can see Receipts that go in, monies that go out. They have the support of a company. Um, we also don't have any in-house attorneys, so we we try to set that up too, so that way, um, parents, if there was an issue with us, if we failed them, if we did something unethical, they could be able to um, to care, you know, to to be protected by an attorney, not someone that mm-hmm. we hired. Okay. Um, those are definitely recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, with issues like the embezzlement. Um, That particular case, supposedly, because nothing has been charged, um, Mm -hmm. I believe is closer to 2.5 with loans and lenders and and cloud funding. Um, There's a couple lawsuits with that. Um, And then there's the parents. Um, I'm currently working with a set of intended parents that lost their agency fee, um, and I'm trying to get them a surrogate as quick as possible so that at least we can recover some of the time lost. Um, I think being part of the surrogacy field, you have to help the community. If we don't care for and police our own community, we're going to get shut down like other countries. Like the world watches the U S and what we do with surrogacy. And that sets the tone for the entire world. I don't Mm -hmm. think people realize that, you know, and so these agencies that are greedy and out for their own, you know, are, are ruining and risking that when there are so many babies born through surrogacy and so much change and, and, and families and, and pain is resolved. I mean, I know for myself, my intended mother had five years of failed IVF.
0: Right. I mean, I just, it just, I saw, because when, before our interview, when I cyberstalk you, um yeah. you you talk a lot about seeds on your TikTok and Instagram. We have those links in the show notes. Yeah. But I'm I just I'm really glad that we addressed that because it's it's such a scary, expensive, emotionally charged topic. You're talking about infertility already and then surrogacy as a a secondary way to have children that yeah. are genetically yours and I was just blown away when I when I you know linda reached out to me and then i talked to my friend who's a surrogate for her second time and has loved yeah. the experience i mean she's had a really great experience but she's like you know you have to be careful and yes. so i appreciate you addressing that um you yeah. you said you had 3 babies for one surrogate and then you, but you've been a surrogate 4 times i want you to tell me about that and i want i want to know and, are you going to do it again and the toll it takes on your body and your family
1: yeah yeah definitely um so i am a big mental health um Mm -hmm. you know supporter and so Mm -hmm. during all of the surrogacies i do see someone on a regular basis and at the end we do family sessions where i'm sorry where we would um you know our whole family we want to make sure that we are connecting that everyone's had closure with the deliveries Um, I set my surrogacies up differently. So it is required for me that the parents be open to a relationship, that they be open to my Mm. children, meeting them and the baby. Um, I also have a very unique experience because my intended mother with our first surrogacy actually stayed with me for a week after we, um, after we delivered because she was in a foreign country I didn't want her getting taken advantage of by the hotels or taxi staff. Um, she didn't speak very much English, and her husband was unable to come because I went into labor uh, four weeks early due to a fender bender. Um, yeah, yeah. So I delivered at 36 weeks, um, the first baby. And, mm-hmm. and so she wasn't ready for that. Um, part of that story, if you ever you know get to see more of my story, is that after five years of failed IVF during this process, she got pregnant naturally and so she was eight months pregnant or seven and a half months pregnant when i delivered yeah after never being able to carry to term so here's the woman who's in her third trimester her surrogate gets you know fender benders and jumbles up baby and so we're delivering um and she doesn't drive in the u.s and she's in california because we had four more weeks to go um and so we're trying to get her to the hospital i'm in delivery and out comes this six-pound, 13-ounce, no-oxygen-needed baby. It was, in, it was just amazing. Um, but we had agreed uh, as a surrogate. I wanted to make sure we were on the same page. Um, part of that was if the parents weren't there, I didn't want that baby going into the nursery. I, he had heard my voice. My job was to give him to his parents. I didn't want him to feel lonely. You know, as that baby comes out, they're like, what is this world? Put me back in where it's nice and cozy. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want him to be going through all of that as a newborn um, without mom. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure he was safe. During that aspect of it, we had some issues with the hospital. And that's where, like, my advocacy for delivery was surrogacy and, you know, and understanding and making sure that, like, I've been the 24-7 line at my agency for the last almost six years because I never want anyone to feel alone. So I get calls at three in the morning. I get calls at one in the morning, but I never wanted someone to feel alone and panicking because the hospital said, no, 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 we're going to treat this differently. You can't have this baby in your room. And I'm like, but all the documentation is in the office. They're like, Oh, the social worker went home for the weekend. I'm like, so I slept after I pushed that baby out on a chair in the NICU. Cause they didn't have a nursery. Cause I was like, he's not going to be alone. Like, I didn't get this far (laughs) to get him to have trauma as a baby. (laughs) So, you know, we did that. And then um, she made it up the next morning. We got released from the hospital the next day. And then she lived with us for a week while we pumped and nursed and helped her learn how to care for a newborn. And and then she did that the next two times. (laughs) So we've lived together every time I've had a baby.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. That is amazing. And then you were a surrogate one more time for someone else.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was not that was COVID 2020. And there was a lot of fear. um, And the parents, it was a hard one. Um, I wanted to retire after that one. And, you know, and I told my husband, I was done, like, that one felt icky. You know, I didn't feel the beautiful, warm effects of it. Um, So basically, what happened with them was they had one embryo, we had one shot, um and this little guy we named him jonah as a nickname um because he was such a delayed starter like we got our first hcg and he was like 18 or 19 and the cutoff was 18 for like the levels for hcg pregnancy hormone then two days later we go back and it barely doubled and the doctor's like this is not going to be viable i'm like can we just wait till the weekend like maybe he's just a late bloomer um and he just continued uh when we did heartbeat confirmations he measured two days behind so he must have just implanted late and um mm. and so there was just thing after thing um with him but then COVID hits right and I deliver July I think 7th 2020 and the parents are I'm 38 and a half weeks pregnant he has stopped moving he's like lowered you know deceled fetal movement we're doing you know um we're doing those fetal you know tests you know the non-stress tests or whatever Mm -hmm. to to check if he's okay and i looked at my doctor and he looked at me and i was like i'm worried and he's like he's fully baked let's just get him out because if there's something wrong it's easier to take care of it outside of the womb than you go into an emergency c-section um but unfortunately the parents did not um speak english they didn't understand and so on their end, there was a lot of fear. One, their baby was coming early. They didn't understand 38 and a half weeks so was okay. Um, they were in Cambodia because in order to get from China to the U.S., you had to quarantine in a couple different countries for a week or two. And so they're, they're four days away from getting there, and their baby's going to be okay. born. It's their only shot. It was just uh, they got very aggressive, very angry, threatening, um and we had to cut off contact until delivery. Um, I wanted to make sure they could still see the baby in the video and everything like that. So we caught my husband called them and videoed them, but we ended up not talking um other than when they needed something like how to fill out a birth certificate. And I felt like, you know, I just felt like it wasn't what I expected. Unfortunately, it was kind of it was a lesson learned. So I tell people you're going into surrogacy to grow a family, and if your family grows in the end it's a blessing. And I had to really live that. Like I had to, who was I there for? Was it for my own needs or was I there to truly grow a family? And that's the kind of the hard set of surrogacy is you, if you're really in it to help a family grow, then the relationship that I had with the parents at the end shouldn't be my number one, right? Like right. that's a bummer. Um, but that's what I learned. It was a hard lesson because I thought I'd be besties with everyone. Like, who wouldn't want to be a bestie and, like, have fun? And Nope. Uh, it went bad. Um, we ended up firing them <laughs> during my labor. <laughs> so
0: it was bad. Wow. You've decided yeah. not to do surrogacy anymore, but you're still – now you are running – the company and helping other people, which is still growing families. And wow, I mean, yeah. how how this one conversation at church with this woman who yeah. was like, it's not mine. <laughs> However many years later, here you are. Yeah. Who would have ever thought? Um, I yeah. like to end on a really high note. Yes. I would love for your high note because I have a mom who's a surrogate and I've yes. worked with adoptions and surrogacy before several times, but I want your perspective on... Because it's not just me as a doula, like what can the people that are supporting the surrogate do to make that process easier for them? And I think that would be kind of a good place to
1: end. I think that's amazing. Yeah. So um, as a support system, one, realizing that when we deliver, we are pumped with hormones. We may be crying, but to just assume that we're crying because the baby is gone and ripped from our arms, is not, it's not respectful. We don't want that child. We had of surrogacy because we don't want any more children of our own. We're okay with that. We're pumped with hormones. We're going to cry for no reason. Um, the other side of it is is that as a surrogate, I loved and I look back and I'm thankful for every journey. And I was a type A personality. And so sometimes people, when you get to the end, it's like being fired from a job you're really good at. We're going to mourn the end of that season. Not the baby, not, oh, you know, we're there's a hole in our heart. it's We're mourning this season that we loved being surrogates. I loved being a surrogate. I loved every part of it. I loved watching the families get excited and their families being complete or growing. And, you know, and I love labor and delivery, believe it or not. I, I think it's beautiful what the human body can do. Um, you know, I've had the six um, births. They were all vaginal births. I've, you know, I've got to experience them without any epidurals and just my body pushing that child out on its own, you know? So like all of that is beautiful, but it's still a season that's ending and it's okay to be sad about that. And it's okay to to sit in that for a minute. Um, And then, you know, uh, for us to be able to get back to our lives. So I would say for her, just supporting her and understanding, like maybe sometimes the surface emotion, it's not what, what others who have never been through surrogacy think about it. There's a whole community. Um, And I'm actually launching a fourth trimester for the entire surrogacy community. This will be coming out Mm. next week. It's free to everyone. It's going to have mental health classes so support, Mm -hmm. a health and wellness program, a whole group of surrogates that are in their postpartum era, the fourth Mm -hmm. trimester for love and compassion and just being sisters, no matter if you're independent with an agency, it doesn't matter. Like there's a whole community of women that are ready to support um, surrogates. No matter where they're they're at in their journey and so i think just understanding like reach out to those communities and for family members to understand like check it out we're not we're not crazy like this is a beautiful thing that we're doing
0: the one thing that i think about is how um you know because family members don't necessarily do this but as a doula i have postpartum appointments i'm making sure breastfeeding goes well and the mom is healing and those things are all still happening to your body yes. even though there's yes. not a baby present and so i i've i always think like supporting the mom's physical recovery as well as the emotional recovery right and do they want to pump and donate do they not not necessarily to the baby if the parents don't want it but like just in general do they want to do that how do you wean them off of that you know like there are there are big things that you have to decide and talk about it's not about handing the baby over and then being like bye like that that postpartum (laughs) mom's journey is pretty massive so yeah
1: and I've always felt bad um my first two journeys asking family and friends for help because I was like well I didn't have a I don't have the baby at home right But, like, for family and friends, if you would just offer to bring a meal, like, treat it like she's just given birth. You know, even if the baby's not there, it would be such a help because we are. And I hated asking for help because I felt like I signed up for it. So why should I ask people for help? But my whole support system was just waiting for me to, like, ask. And they wanted to help because they loved me. Not because Mm. of the actual act of bringing home a baby, but because they loved Ashley they wanted to be able to help and bring food. They just didn't know if it was acceptable. And so as family, just bring the meal over. Like drop it at the doorstep. Order it, you know, like help with laundry. We're still healing.
0: Yeah. Ashley, thank you so much for yeah. being on and sharing. What a pleasure.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I get rambling. I oh, I, I love get- it. <laughs> <laughs> so I love thank it. You for thank you. Me. <laughs>